I'm really glad to see all of you here this morning. It's really hard to stand up here and talk to an empty room, so thank you for joining me in worship today. I appreciate how you empower all of us on staff to do what God has called us to do, even when Bob's not here. So I appreciate that very much. Do, love, walk was the theme for this year's passport camps, which both our children and youth were able to attend this summer. I want you to know, before I start though, please be aware, this is not a camp recap. So if you were coming hoping to see wonderful loads of pictures about what we did every minute of every day while we were at camp, sorry, that's not it. I do want you to know that today's message was inspired by both my preparation for and my experiences at camp. So I'm gonna start by telling you a little bit about my time there. We had a great time at Passport Kids learning about how we can live Micah 6-8. Here is a picture of our whole group the first day at camp, and you can tell by the really stodgy poses that camp is a very serious place. Yep, that kind of sums up our group. They're a lot of fun. They sort of stayed in line, but they did all kinds of whatever, just like they are. There was plenty of time for fun, including time for playing games, singing silly songs. This is at um, opening celebration, and if you've never seen Kim Feltz dance, he really does. And it just, I, maybe it has to be in the right circumstances. I've never seen that, but I, I stood next to him in morning celebration and saw it a couple of times. It was a lot of fun. Um, we swam. Um, the big question every day was, do we get to swim today? Do we get to swim today? And some of the days, indeed, we did. And we made some neat art projects if they chose that for their camper's choice. But in addition to all the fun stuff, there was also plenty of time to think about and talk about what we were learning during worship and Bible study. Some of the most meaningful time we spent was during our church group worship response, and that's what this picture is of. We also spent good time during free time and during time spent around meals. The time we spent around meals was different than some of the times that we've spent before. There were 500 campers at camp this summer, and if you've ever been to Eagle Irie, you'll know that that room, that lunch cafeteria space, is not meant to hold that many campers and uh, chaperones at once, so we had to go in separate groups. And then that was compounded by if a child was leading in worship, they had to be there earlier than everybody else and so then we had chaperones going in all different directions and we didn't always get to sit at meals together but we did get to run as a herd down the hill to um, to the cafeteria space we weren't very far up the mountain so we didn't have far to go but there were lots of um, shouts of don't run down the hill are you wearing flip-flops where are your closed-toed shoes so there was good time spent on talking about rules and why we have rules, and also living what Micah 6-8 is. Some of the best time, really, other than the meal time, was time that we spent during free time in our cabin, and they asked for that every day. They would say, is this the time we get to go to our cabin? That's fun. Because they enjoyed, even though I didn't have structured activity time for them, they enjoyed being together, and they made their own fun, like children do when they have time to do that. Our society doesn't allow a lot of room and space for that, so I appreciate the fact that Passport builds that in so that they can be kids and they can spend time getting to know each other. One of the little girls said, I really like it here. Now I know everybody's name. Even though we only took 12 to camp, 
they didn't all know each other's names and they're all children who come it's not we didn't pick anybody up off the street as we went in or anything it was people they all knew but they didn't know each other's names even so I appreciate the ways that you make it possible for children and youth to go to camp because you are helping deepen and strengthen those meaningful relationships with each other and with God and really that helps them live out Micah 6 8 after I registered our campers for kids camp and the first children started to sign up I really started thinking about and praying over the theme and the focal verse I do this every year it's not something I just picked up this year I do this every year because I feel like it's important for me to understand what it is they're learning about and be ready to help guide them as they're thinking about it and I really enjoyed the time this year because I love this verse Micah 6 8 I try to live it every day and so part of my praying through that and and thinking over that was I um, prayed and thought about it every day and our church doesn't have a prayer labyrinth if you're familiar with what a prayer labyrinth is it's a, a thing like a labyrinth that you walk through and you pray through and um, it just helps guide and focus your mind and we don't have that here at HRBC but we do have a sanctuary and so I made the sanctuary into my own kind of prayer labyrinth and so I would come in in the mornings and the lights were off and I would start walking and I would start back there by the sound booth and I'd go this way and I don't like to go the same way like all the time so I'll come down the side and up and around and then the next pass through I'll walk the other way so all the carpet gets evenly walked on and I'm not making too much path one place or another I really do think about that I know that's crazy but as I was walking through that and starting to think about it I realized after the first couple of weeks of praying it through that I had forgotten something and I know that my seminary professors would probably roll their eyes at me forgetting this but I had really forgotten the importance of the context I was praying through a single verse and had not read it in its context and it's really important to read things where they come from not just random like we were talking about the hashtag blessed how many of you have seen a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or a sign that has one Bible verse on it raise your hand if you've ever seen that I've seen that a lot of places and I hear a lot of people claim a Bible verse and they'll say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I'm like well yeah but the context of that verse is not what you're making it to be and so I didn't want our boys and girls to hear Micah 6 8 out of context so I went back and started looking at it I don't want to misuse scripture and if I'm going to be a teacher for boys and girls I want them to learn how to do how to interpret it correctly for themselves so I went back to Micah 6 8 and now uh, or to Micah the book of Micah and now I want you to come with me Micah is what we call one of the minor prophets it's in the Old Testament so it's in the first half of the Bible boys and girls it's before Jesus is born and the book of Micah is the sixth in the line of 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament Mike is considered more of a common man's prophet meaning he wasn't from the big city he was from a small village outside of the capital of Jerusalem a lot of the prophets preached from the perspective of being citizens of and members of the community of Jerusalem and so they were talking to the temple leaders and about the temple leaders and Micah was bringing word from God about the leaders but he was doing it from the perspective of really deeply caring about the poor and the oppressed 
who were in the Israelite community. And the book is about how he cared about the poor and oppressed people and how angry he was with the leaders because the leaders were helping Jerusalem come to ruin. The first chapters of the book of Micah talk about the terrible things that are going to happen to Jerusalem and to God's people. Not the stuff that might happen if they did X and Y, but the stuff that was going to happen and about how they deserved what happened to them because their leaders had been making poor and unjust choices. The middle chapters of Micah talk about how hope will win. Have we heard that story before? Hope will win? We've all heard that. The, those chapters even talking about, talk about the coming of Jesus. If you will go back after today and read Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, the heading for that is, A leader will rise from Bethlehem. Who do we know that was a leader that rose from Bethlehem? Boys and girls, anybody remember that story? Jesus. Yep. So, getting through those parts of the book gets us to where we are today. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, read like a kind of courtroom drama. God tells Micah, the prophet, to stand up in front of the jury, which in this case is not 12 people who are his peers, but it's made up of the mountains and the hills. Those verses say, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Baor, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. In these verses, God's telling the people, Look, y'all, look at what I've done to take care of you. Why do you continue to take what I've given you, complain about it, and continue to act so badly to me and to each other? Why? Then, someone like a priest or some other leader responds almost impudently in verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? The response that that leader gave, while it wasn't quite flippant, it was not the most respectful. It's as if the leader is pretending to be pious and saying, let me think about the biggest sacrifice that has ever been made and the most over-the-top thing I can say and see if that will satisfy God. Have you ever had that experience yourself or had your children treat you that way when you take them to task for something? Hand on hip saying, well, fine, I will one-up you. I will show you. That's how they came to God. Micah's simple response in verse 8 says it all. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. When I read the verses that preceded verse 8, I had a new perspective that led me to look at the bigger picture. Part of the bigger picture is me as an individual and what I am supposed to do with what God says. The rest of the picture is what we're supposed to do together with what God says. The Bible is the record of God and his people. God created you and God created me. And so the verses in the Bible speak to me, but they also speak to relationship. The relationship that we have, that I have with God and that you have with God and the relationship that we have with each other as God's people. He made us for relationship. He didn't make us to be by ourselves. He didn't make us to stand alone. He made us to be in community. And that community together, that's what speaks loudest to the world outside these walls. The way that we, as God's people, treat God together and treat each other together. So when I was ready again to think more deeply about verse 8, I decided to approach it by meditating on the parts of the verse. If you've ever heard of Lectio Divina, it's a way of approaching scripture where you read it and then you kind of take it apart and you meditate on the pieces and parts. You read it quickly and then you stop and think about it. You go back and read it more slowly and think what words are standing out to me. And then you go back and read it again and say, what are the parts and pieces that make this up? And then how does it speak to me? What, what do I need to get out of this? So for several days, I would walk and pray and say the verse in parts. So the first couple of days, I prayed through the very first part, which was the, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. That first part, the, duh, he's already shown you what to do. Why aren't you doing it? I've had those moments all the time where I go, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? This was one of those moments. God has already shown you what to do, Israel. Why are you still acting on your high horse over here with this big chip on your shoulder? Stop it. He's already told you what to do. I thought about that part for a long time. A long time. God has shown me what is good. He hasn't just shown me what to do. He has shown me what is good. I've seen children be born. I've heard babies laugh. I've seen trees and flowers blossom. I've seen fruit grow where the blossoms have been. I have tomatoes in my garden, and it's a miracle. And every time I see that, and every time I eat one of them, I think, wow, that's really cool. God did that. I've seen rain come after dry spells, like what happened yesterday. Set, steady soaking rain with a cool day that benefits the earth so much more than a gully washer. And that's good. I've seen people do the right thing time and time again. I've seen people not just do the right thing. I've seen people stand up against what's the wrong thing. I've seen people be generous. I've seen God love me in spite of all my faults. I've seen God send Jesus on my behalf and on your behalf. In all those things, I've seen God and I've seen good. Next, I prayed through the question that comes after that. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? As I contemplated this part, I was reminded of how we teach our children. <clears throat> children ask a lot of questions. Some ask more questions than others. I have a question asker in my family, and there are times that I just wish that the questions would stop because sometimes I just don't have answers. Sometimes 
my ears are tired, and sometimes I just want it to stop, but that's okay. I keep answering. I have questions a lot, and I know sometimes God is like, will you please just be quiet? I see myself in that same question asking. Sometimes the questions that children ask are deeply serious, and the answers don't come easily to us. We do the same thing to God. Sometimes the questions make us roll our eyes, but we still have to answer. And sometimes we do what frustrates our children to no end, but it has a deeper purpose than frustrating them. We answer a question with a question. Anybody done that? Yep. We don't like it when that happens, and our children don't like it when that happens, but that's what's happening here. The leader says, what am I supposed to do here, God? I'm offering you everything I've got, including my firstborn child. And God patiently answers and says, well, I've shown you what's right, so you tell me, what does the Lord require of you? And I imagine the leader pausing and scratching his head with a quizzical look on his face. And the pause gets longer and it gets more awkward because they're not sure what the right Sunday school answer is. And then the answer comes, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. Simple, straightforward. It's not rocket science, which really could have been the title of this message. It's not rocket science. It's not. But I was stunned by its simplicity and its complexity. The verse doesn't say, Love justice, it says, do justice. How do we do justice? How do we act justly? We live in a world that's consumed with media and the immediacy of media. And I am the first to admit I use Facebook, and my children will tell you that I use it too much. And I don't sit in front of my computer, I carry it in the palm of my hand. And so they'll say, Mom, Mom, quit reading and walking at the same time. Come on. I spend time on Facebook. And on Facebook, I see lots of folks who are calling for justice, demanding justice for lots of different things. Left-leaning, right-leaning, middle-standing, you name it, people everywhere are demanding justice. But when they make that demand for justice, I don't see justice happening. I just see a lot of anger. Some people who spew that anger might call it righteous anger. I just call it ugly. Doing justice is more than spewing anger on Facebook. It requires you to do something. It might mean getting up out of your chair and doing something to help the poor and oppressed people like Micah cared so much about. And that may mean something as simple as not eating out sometimes so that you have more money or extra money to give to First Sunday food offerings. Acting justly means not categorizing people so that you can feel better about yourself. We teach our children that when they're young. We tell them, don't point fingers and don't put somebody down and don't be a bully to make yourself feel better. Everybody's equal. God loves everybody. It might mean including the new kid at lunch at school. It might mean standing up to the bully at school or standing up to the bully at work or standing up to the bully at 
church. And then I moved on from what does do justice mean to what about loving mercy and kindness? Some, uh, some translations will translate mercy as kindness. I'm going to translate it as mercy here because that's how I learned the verse. What about mercy? Don't we all love mercy? We are all sitting in this room, products of God's mercy toward us. Mercy means not acting out of malice and not giving somebody what they really deserve in the way of punishment. We deserve, we earned from God, separation from him because we choose to do things not the way God wants, but the way that we want. So we are a people born of mercy through God's love, but when was the last time that we loved mercy so much that it moved us to act? Have you ever been cut off in traffic? Anybody ever been cut off in traffic? Did you give a kind and merciful response? In my car, I've heard gasps when I've moved and said, oh, jerk. Well, some people use words that are stronger than that that I can't say in church. And some people do something with their hands that's not very nice either. That's not a merciful response. And what about at the grocery store when the mom with 20 items and a screaming kid jumps in front of you in the 15 items or less speed, out, speed checkout line? Did you treat her with mercy and kindness? Did you look on that screaming child with mercy and kindness? I usually pray for them because I remember what it was like. I don't always act with mercy, but at least I stop and pray for the mom. Or what about when you're at school or work and somebody gets what you think they deserve? They get punished for something or they get their comeuppance and you're happy about it and smug about it. Is that a merciful response? I don't think so. But mercy is hard, y'all. We don't, we don't practice that. And then I moved on to the humbly part. Walking through here, talking about the humbly part. I, am, I don't do humble very well. You can ask my husband. I don't. I don't do it well. And in our society, particularly in America, we don't value humility very much. We always want our kids, our jobs, our houses, our schools, our churches to be the best. We want to be on top. We want to do what's the best. We want to have that blue ribbon and we want to have first place all the time. What says humility more than trying to one-up your neighbor? I don't see it. And because I don't see it around me, it's hard for me to live that. And that's what, when I was talking with the boys and girls about changing our perspective, Jesus flipped that perspective upside down. You need to change your perspective. We, as God's people, our perspective is different. We don't need to get on the one-up train. As the days went by, I continued to walk and pray through all the parts of the verse, and I read different versions of the verse, and I encourage you to do this. The New International Version, the one that I read from and that we typically use in worship, uses act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. The Contemporary English Version says, See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. The New Revised Standard Version, which is the version that we used in seminary, and it's also the one that they used at camp, it says, Do justice and love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. 
There are other versions, and I encourage you to go look those up for yourself. Reading those other versions helps you stretch your mind and get at a fuller understanding of what a verse or a passage really means. So after several days and several weeks of walking and praying and breaking all that down, it finally hit me, and it was a day that was gray outside, and I was right back there by the sound booth, and it just like whacked me. Why we might have trouble trouble living this verse, why I might have trouble living this verse, I've seen it written as separate statements, and that's how we approached it at camp. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. So it was do justice, period, love mercy or kindness, period, walk humbly, period. But every single version that I read didn't have a period in between those words, It had the word and. So why was I looking at it in pieces? It wasn't do this, and when you're done with that, then do this, and then when you're done with that, then do this, and don't worry about the other things. It was do this and do that and do that. We don't get to pick and choose which part we want to do on which day. It says they're each informed by the other. I and you live as part of an information-saturated society, a society that sits behind a screen and makes quick assumptions based on a piece of a larger picture, a society that will make emphatic statements on Facebook, shaking a finger at what they think ails the world and giving their discourse on what will fix it. I think that allows each one of us to get stuck on certain parts and pieces and forget about how all those pieces fit together. If we look at this verse that way, then we get justice without mercy and humility could probably just be called revenge. And kindness without justice could just be enabling bad behavior. That's not what this verse is talking about. It doesn't mean do each separately and then check back in at the end of the day. Did I do good? Did I do good? It means do justice with kindness in mind, making sure that you're walking humbly with God seeking God's direction in all things, in all parts of that verse, in all parts of your life. It's not rocket science, but it is hard stuff. And so there are hard places for each one of us. Each one of us deals differently with how we come at that verse because we each deal with a different challenge. Some of us might be challenged by the justice part. Some of us might be challenged by the kindness part. And some of us, like me, might be challenged by the humility part. Where is your place that you struggle? I'm going to invite you to be part of a prayer experience that we've done with our children, and we did it last week. And this is an uncomfortable one in some ways because I'm going to ask you to talk out loud. The first service did not do well with the out loud part. And I asked the boys and girls last week that when we did these in worship, they were going to have to be leaders. They were going to have to speak up. So I'm going to invite you to pray. We're going to pray together, and we're going to pray about justice and mercy and, and being humble. And the places where you struggle, say those out loud. Nobody's listening but God, and if we're all talking, we can't hear each other anyway. So that's the easiest way to make sure nobody hears you is to make sure everybody's talking. We took our shoes off when we did this, but you don't have to take your shoes off. We took our shoes off to show that it's holy ground. And if you want to, I invite you to do that, but you don't have to if you don't want to. 
But I do invite you to a season of prayer, and I'll prompt you when it's time to bring your concerns to God.